this is Jennifer Van Damsel, and you're listening to Top Five Comics Podcast. Top Five Comics Podcast, where people talk about comics, pop culture, and events. Today we have Steve. Hi. Yeah, and also Rob. Hey, hey, hello. <laughs> Man. All right, well, what up, everybody? Uh, welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast. Uh, so uh, today, let's see, and usually it feels like there's more crazy things to say, but I don't feel like I have any of that today. Oh. It's all right. Um, so uh, that was Rob. <sighs> today we're doing episode number 84? Yes. 84. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Alright, so book-wise today, we're going to be doing Lost Boys number one from the old Vertigo comics. Uh, Shipwreck number one, which is from uh, Aftershock. Aftershock comics. Cave Carson, <laughs> Cybernetic Eye number one, which is from Young Animal. Uh, Seven to Eternity, number one, from uh, Image Comics. And then Knight's Dominion, number two, which is from Oni Press. So all number ones, you know. There's a few number ones, and then well, all number ones but one. One's the loneliest number, Rob? Yeah, this is pretty close. Unless you're number two, and in that case, number two's the loneliest number today. Yes. Yeah, yeah right. So today we're doing a little different format because we're doing all, uh, well, quote unquote, all indies. Uh, you know, for this last two weeks. I mean, technically two of them are DCs, but they're the imprints, so if Marvel got a little more icon going on or another imprint, then we'd be able to do something else with them too, maybe. Take that, Marvel. The mouse can burn. No? Yeah, I, I, I don't think so. Whatever, man. I'm not saying the park got people there. I don't want people to die. That's true. God, dangerous. Get yourself in trouble doing that. Uh, all right. So let's see. Let's do a little bit of very little bit of comic news. Mm. So I feel like there's a lot of stuff that's happened, but not stuff that matters. I mean, right now we got New York Comic Con going on, so all kinds of nonsense is coming out of there. Mm. Uh, let's see. Most recently, well, here in the last couple of days. Not that it matters, because who knows when you're going to listen to this. Uh, so expect in 2017. A uh, Deadpool the Duck miniseries coming out from the old Marvel. Um, I don't know if anybody's attached to it yet or not. I, I know the title got mentioned in New York, but I don't know if they actually said he's working on it. Any idea, Rob? No, no, no. Okay. Uh, another one from the House of Mouse. We have uh, America, which is going to be uh, Miss America Chavez. Uh, getting her own standalone, which also, I think the only person attached is a cover artist. Huh. And I don't remember the name, but they are good covers. I want to say he's the one that did the last um, Young Avengers, I think. Okay. That had her in there, if I remember. Sorry, I don't remember your name, ma'am. It's not intentional. Uh, oh, um, we're going to be getting, then this one I think is going to be awesome. We're getting a Wonder Woman 77 meets Batman 66. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which I think will be freaking great. Linda Carter and Adam West. And then Burt Ward, because, you know, well, he hung out with Adam West, so good times. Chaos ensues. <laughs> uh, TV-wise, we know that uh, 
Well, Supergirl is off to a good start. Uh, people seem to be pretty happy with uh, with the uh, the role of Superman. Um, now, is this the first season for it with with CW, C Senor? Uh, yeah, they're they're on their season two, which is with the CW. Uh, first couple episodes have come out, and they got a guy playing Superman whose name I do not know. Also, I'm full of things I don't know. <laughs> pretty much, he's written very uh, all out Superman one, so Christopher Reeve style. And there's some there's some throwback stuff actually in there where they mention pieces from that batch of movies actually. So that's pretty cool, I think. Uh, the way he's written and the way he acts is similar to that, so I'm pretty happy with that. Uh, we do know there's talk of Tom Welling getting the part, but apparently he was cast in something else, so he might show up later on in something else. He's the uh, Smallville Superman. Okay. So I guess we might see him later on, which I would like that. I mean, the group doing those Superman shows, or Superman, Supergirl things, have, have they actually done a lot of like Easter egg stuff, even back in the old days. Like, so Superman 1, Chris Reed Superman, this one you probably don't even know. Um, so on the train, when Superman's running next to the train in the, in the opening of the movie, as a boy, we have Lois Lane inside the train see him, right? Okay. The parents of Lois Lane are a Superman from the old serial days and Lois Lane from the old serial days. So they're like throwbacks to even then and that's yeah. back in like god whenever that when did that movie come out 85 yeah something like that i google it if you want to know i guess god anyway so they were even doing easter eggs back then when easter eggs weren't a thing isn't that cool yeah i think that's pretty cool and supergirl so far has done in the supergirl show we have at least well i guess it's like six or seven of them the two of the really cool ones is who her adopted parents are which i know we talked about that once on the show before because i'm really impressed by it um, because we have her mom as the original Supergirl from the Supergirl movie, uh, Kristen Slater's sister, and then the, her dad is Dean Kane from the old Lois and Clark series. So, I think that stuff's awesome. Uh, really pretty cool. Anyway, uh, so there's that little bit of blah blah, blah for almost no reason. Um, I think that's all I got for comic books. I mean, I don't... Oh, there there has been a couple of trailers that have been released. Oh, that's right. Yes, uh, Logan. Yes, which looks fantastic. Yeah, which I mean, if this is going to be the last one for for Jackman, for Jackman, I mean, it's probably as close as we're going to get to Old Man Logan. We'll see. You know, I mean, I sure. think they're keeping the door open, but this is pretty close. Yeah, it, the trailer looks awesome. If you haven't seen the trailer, you should really get on it because it's it's an awesome trailer. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, they've released a trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy 2. That's true. The international trailer's come out. Um, but I, I think that there's probably some more fine-tuning, so don't, like... I, I have a feeling the international trailer would be, it, since it's the first one that dropped, by the time they drop the second trailer, the U.S. trailer, it'll be different. Yeah. It feels a little, like, pre-production-y. I can see that. Yeah, so, so it still looks cool. Don't don't lose faith if you have seen that yet and it didn't like blow you away. Yeah, it's not bad though. It's it's a fun trailer. It's a very Drax and Peter Quill heavy, but it was still wasn't still a good trailer. And uh, then uh, of course we we've got more Rogue One stuff coming out. Yeah, they put out the I guess the last Rogue One trailer maybe. 
Because they've been dropping them like every couple of months now. That yeah. little pieces are rearranged or whatever, and that thing looks freaking amazing. Yeah, it looks a lot better than I had originally thought. I, I I've always thought the Rogue One looked really good. Right. But it now looks like it's going to be heavy story good, and not just like all the action that you could think of. Right. So. Well, it definitely looks cool, and the the character casting, like the people who got cast in it, are awesome. Like, just the pieces we've seen from the trailers look great. And it's a pretty good cast lineup, so, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah, the only thing I hope is they don't overstep their technology. You know, like, like I don't want to see this and think, why wasn't this in the original trilogy, you know? So, we'll see. They've, they've tried to make things look more janky, like the AT-ATs are, like, they have weird side compartments, and, like, their necks are not very long and stuff, but... I don't know. It, it, that's all nitpick shit. So, so no, I feel you. Stuff. Whenever the uh, whenever the prequels came out, everything was shiny and new, and everything was fancy. Mm. Which you can say, well, now they're in a state of rebellion. You build what you can build. But if the future technology is step backwards, that's questionable. Yeah. Even for the Empire, because Empire at that point would have had everything. So yeah, I, I feel what you're saying. I, I, I guess just, we'll see. Just hopefully, it's funny that we can say this. Hopefully, it's period. For Star Wars? That is a weird thing to say. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. That's weird. So stop it. I think other than that, there's just there's just game stuff. Like they're gonna do yeah. the they're gonna do the um, Skyrim master release or whatever, so they're gonna update it, put it on the new consoles, right. make it look a lot prettier, it's gonna come with all the DLC. It's not a new game, but it does look pretty impressive. So if you've never played Skyrim, here's your chance. Or if you have, you know, the new fancy consoles and you can't play it anymore. Hey, that's true. Here's your chance, too. Uh, the other one is that Pokemon Sun and Moon is going to get ready to release soon, which looks mm. pretty awesome. There's actually a demo out now. If you have a 3DS, you can download it for free, and you'll get a Greninja in there, which is a last-gen uh, water Pokemon. But the cool thing for it is that it can bond with your character or whatever and then become an Ash Greninja, which is something they did in the TV show. I was never going to make it into the game, so as a kind of a bonus, this one can do that. And when the regular game comes out, you'll be able to transfer that Greninja to the game. So it's a free demo if you're a Pokemon fan. With all those goers out there, you think they would get a free demo, so... yeah. Yeah, you just have to the 3DS, that's all. Right. And they do have a pre-ordered nonsense thing with some uh, Snorlax with a special move. So Special move Snorlax. Yeah. I call it heavy sleep. <laughs> yeah. It's like a steamroller no. thing. But... Hey, same thing. Roll over. That's the name of the move. It could be. Snorlax roll. Use roll over. And then you see a guy out there pushing him. <laughs> why, why not? You have to. But, but yeah, there's there's some impressive new stuff for this game. But I watched Pokemon back in the day too, Rob. Yeah, I, I enjoy Pokemon. I, I do. do. I'm not really a player. Uh, but I think those are the I two. I do like Pikachu though. Yeah, those are the two big exciting ones. Cool. There, there's there's of course you know a lot of stuff in those games, but this isn't the the video game show. So right, very true, very very true. <laughs> Damn you. Okay, um, well, I think that's probably enough blah de blah with that kind of stuff, I guess. Um, and if you're not, well, if you're not watching Legends Tomorrow and uh, Flash, 
he should be. So, uh, you know. Oh, and Luke Cage? Man. I finished that, like, a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah? Fan-freaking-tastic. I just started it. I don't know. I'm not sold yet. <laughs> Give it to the second episode. Mm, well. It's good. Maybe third episode? Okay. <laughs> the third for you? Maybe. Man. Wait till you see the tiara. No, just the... Do, 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 yes. Okay. Well, I, I'm, I'm intrigued again. All right. <laughs> um, all right. So let's go and start some books. Just to let you know, there will be spoilers. Uh, what we're we doing first, Rob? We're doing we're gonna do, um, Lost Boys? Lost Boys, yeah. All right. You want to tell me a story about vampires and kids? I do. This is kind of cool. Um, so if you were a fan of the Lost Boys series... Right. You probably knew that a few years ago, they started coming back and actually making sequels. Right. And, you know, Corey Feldman and uh, I think Haynes made it for the first one. Hame was in, he didn't delete the scenes of the first movie. Yeah. Um, but Feldman, at least, was back. And, yeah. and they did two films that l- went beyond what we know of as The Lost Boys. Right. The two sequels. Uh, two, which is called The Tribe. Three, I think it had a side name, but I don't remember. Now, if you haven't seen them and you're like, holy crap, Lost Boys movies? You can skip two. I'm just saying. You can skip two. Now, granted, you won't get the lead scenes with the, the Hame character, so you don't get to see his, his uh, point in the world. But if you skip to three, you'd be all right. Because two's, it's it's not, it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's it's okay. It does explain some of the stuff in three. So if you start with three, there'd be like one question, but it gets explained quick. So I say go straight from Lost Boys 1 to Lost Boys 3, bypass two, and you're fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I would say. Um, the cool thing for this is that it actually picks up, I think, just a little bit after the original Lost Boys. Yeah, it's, it's supposed to pick up after as if it was a tr- true sequel, I guess. Yeah. Um, we got the guy writing as Tim Seeley. Yes. And the artist is... Uh, Scott Godlewski. Godlewski. Godlowski. I believe so, yes. So we'll probably pronounce it wrong if, if so. Hey, Jim's up straighten this out about a couple names. That's good. There you go. I'm, I'm sorry about that, but yeah, Godlowski is as close as I can I can tell. But yeah, so this is like if time hadn't moved forward and you could still have Corey and and Corey, so yeah, if you could still have Corey and Corey, this would be the film. And the the pier that they were on wasn't wiped out from existence. Well, by natural cause, co- yeah, yeah. I mean the 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 store is actually gone because it was built on a pier that was on the water, and then there's these things with water that happen at oceans. And, you know... And tidal waves and hurricanes. Yeah, hurricanes. And that pretty much took care of the store. So it doesn't ex- exist where it was anymore. Uh, it has since moved more inland and is there, but it's not the same place. That's enough about movie news with that thing. Rob, <laughs> tell me about the story, please. Um, basically, we open up with a description of how the events of the last story ended and kind of catching us up to where we are now. And it winds up being the younger brother who who now works at the comic shop, and he's explaining these things through the through like a pitch to sell uh, the Rise of the Frog Brothers, which is a comic book based on the Frog Brothers. Right, which is kind of hilarious, considering that that's where they used to work before. But yeah, the story is supposed to be about the adventures of Alan and Edgar, the Frog Brothers. Yeah, it's a comic book about their life and adventures. Yeah. Um, and basically, like the guy is pitching it to 
was like, oh, that's all cool, man, but I really wanted to just find the Dark Knight Crusade, and I hear he, like, breaks the Joker's head off or something. Yeah, it's... And so he's like, all right, you know, whatever. Passes him on to the the shelf where that's supposed to be at. Uh, because he sees this girl who comes in. And so he goes over and he tries to get, you know, tries to get his game on a little bit. Same here. Well, he's trying, she's obviously older than him, but yeah, it's it's, it's the 80s, so she's dressed, uh, I don't know, kind of punk rock 80s, I guess. Would be a look that she would be, yeah, I mean, that's the best I can describe her. Yeah. Maybe maybe a little trashy, maybe. She, she does have an important clue that we see for like a second in the pan, in right. the pan on the back, but it's going to be more important later. Right. So, but um, she does mention something that's kind of makes makes you wonder. She talks about a undead city of vampires. Right. And uh, so she was wondering if there was a, a comic about that. And of course, while he's trying to find that, he you know, knocks some books off the shelf, and she kind of walks off. Right. And he kind of gets scolded by the comic shop owner about, you know, she's out of your league, man. <laughs> um, and then we catch up with Michael. And of course, you know, if, if you've watched Lost Boys, you know, Michael and Star uh, were kind of a big part of the story because Star was the vampire who. The vampire girl let him into the group. Him, yeah. yeah, she was the, um, she was the bait. Mm-hmm. And once the, once the story was over, she regained her humanity. Right. So. Uh, ironically, now he works at, like, a, an assisted living home. Yeah. Which Delirly. seems kind of like a bad job. But mm. uh, he talks about, like, how he doesn't really know her that much still, right. even though after all this time. But, you know, they have this relationship going on, and, of course, the little kid vampire is still around. Which I managed to forget about him. <laughs> uh, unfortunately. Um... But we kind of see, you know, something else that's kind of cool following this film up, which is that uh, their grandpa is now teaching the Frog Brothers. He's, like, trying to teach them how to become better vampire hunters. Because it was revealed, of course, at the end of the film that he had known about the vampires the whole time. Well, evidently there's, like, a whole group of vampire hunters that are in that area. Yeah, a whole group of them live in town in secret. Um, and, of course, we, you know, the... Frog Brothers want to be a part of it, but, you know, he's like, oh, well, you're not good enough for that yet. Well, we catch up and we find we find out who the uh, Santa Carla hunting unit is, and they're kind of like, I don't know, they're like crackpots, kind of. Old, old crackpots. Yeah, most of them are. I think there's like only one or two of them that seem like they could really be effective at fighting vampires. Right. Um, and they do talk about this other member who's been trying to apply. I'm being shut down every time. Yeah, because they, they think he's kind of weird. So I imagine we're going to see another probably show up in this story as, as it goes on. But, um... So we're going to get to see that. And, uh... I guess, I guess we, can, we can probably talk about this without spoiling anything. Uh, the, the Vampire Hunter group basically gets attacked right. by this new group of vampires that the rules don't seem to quite apply to as well. Like, they're not slowed down by the garlic as much. They're not just looking to bite necks. They'll bite whatever they can. Um, they weren't worried about playing the game where they can't get inside of somewhere without being invited. And so they actually started, started the building on fire to have them all come running out into the street. Right. And some... Pretty notable people in this little group. 
wind up being bitten and dying. Which, depending on how things work, probably means we're going to see them again. Possibly. Um, but it kind of all leads up to a final reveal of who these new vampires are and maybe a returning character. Dun, dun, dun. Um, so, you know, basically, like, if you, if you were a fan of The Lost Boys, this is actually a real sequel. It takes place before the new films are being made. And I kind of feel like it, it does actually pick up where that other film lets off. And it is kind of a neat, you know, trip back to the 80s. And it, it's it's sad because there's certain elements of nostalgia that I never thought I'd have, like remembering that um, Sam's mom works in a video store. Right. And I was like, oh, those don't exist anymore. Take that, video <laughs> stores. Take that. Uh, you know, and, I, and of course, in my mind, I'm like, oh, my gosh, wouldn't it be cool if the story had the, the pure get destroyed? Oh, man. You know, uh, since that's gone in reality. Hey, you know, it very well could at some uh, point. That'd be interesting. But, I mean, it's 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 neat to kind of go back to that world and catch them at that age. And, and honestly, when they first introduced this book, I, I didn't I didn't know what to expect, I guess. Right. So I kind of expected it to be more like the sequels we're seeing now. Rather than period related, yeah. Rather than actually more. going back and hitting up right. the, the end of that story, see what you're um, It'll be neat to see if they introduce any of the stuff that they have in the extended lore, because the mm. films two and three kind of gave us this idea that a vampire master can be can be different and it can affect his vampires, right? Because we had the surfer ones in three, I think it is. No, that was two. And two yeah. that had like the weird. Shark teeth or whatever. Yeah, which you could, you could skip that one. <laughs> I'm just saying that movie you could skip. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not quite as good as, as the original one. Yeah. And, it, and it's not as, as okay as three. Yeah. Well, they, they, neither of them are as good as the first one. I no, well, no. Like, I mean, timeline-wise, no. Yeah. But nevertheless. But it had Corey and Corey, so I mean. It's true. <laughs> okay, I guess you should watch two and suffer through it. I, I don't know. Okay, Rob, score the book. God. Um, Debate the Lost Boys. You know, when we first watched that movie, a little story time here where Rob tries to think of a score. Hmm. We first watched that movie in San Diego at a world premiere yep. with, with Corey yep. uh, Feldman. And like half the cast. Yeah, Alan, the guy who plays Alan, whose name I don't remember, sorry. And uh, Kiefer Sutherland's um, brother? Whose name I don't know either, but he was there too. Yeah, he was one of the main vampires. He's one of the main show. vampires in there, yeah. That's, yeah. that's the only throwback to the vampires in that movie. Yeah. Kiefer's brother, who wasn't in the first movie, but at least there's a Sutherland in it, I guess. There you go. So the names can trick. Yeah, there's like half the cast there, which was pretty cool. Yeah. And the movie at the time was okay. It's still okay, but movie three is much better. Well, I mean, the cool thing for that was that Corey... Feldman was in character the whole time. Yeah, that's true. He was. Yeah, was like pretty... he, he didn't break no. at all. So people were trying to ask him stuff, <laughs> and he was just responding as as one of the frog brothers. As the frog brother, yeah. Even with his like scratchy voice that he had from the film, right? Yeah, so, he did the whole thing the whole night. Yeah, I mean, he didn't break it at all. So he is know, a he's a weird duck. He tried to yeah. ask him Corey Feldman questions. He didn't. He didn't respond no. the way you'd think. Did not go. Did not go how you'd expect it to go. <laughs> but it was, it, it was, was fun, though. It was fun. It was fun. Yeah, it was, it was fun. neat. Yeah. It was you, me, and Craig that did that. That was pretty fun. 
Yeah, man, it's been a few remember, years. I don't remember Craig was saying that. Yeah, he was. He was. Because he's like, I can't believe you made me go to that. I'm like, it was awesome, Craig. Yes. Yeah, now I'm telling people not to watch it. I'm a ter- terrible fan I am. <laughs> Rob, score the book. Go, please. Uh, I give it a three. I, I have a hard time with that because I, I know some of it is nostalgia. But I, it's written well. Yeah. It feels like the time period. The characters um, look pretty much like the, like the actors. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's always a tough thing to do. But yeah, I, I I feel like it's a new adventure for the for the Lost Boys. So I mean, if you're a fan of Lost Boys, it's fantastic. You should come to it. Right, All right. Um, yeah, I give it a three and a half. Also, well, I give it three and a half because you give it three. Mm-hmm. Main reason I give it the extra half. Like, I'm a pretty big Team CD fan, which I mean, anybody who comes to the store pretty well knows that. I mean, as far as books are concerned, Pump Revival all the time. Has since issue one and. That's why there's a quote on the back of issue two if you have the first printings, um, which is good stuff. Then uh, his night, his Grayson stuff was good. It was just weird that he wasn't in the costume, but I got over that. His current Nightwing stuff's pretty decent. I mean, we're just getting to the fir- end of the first arc, so Hack Slash was great. So the dude's, he wrote some G.I. Joe stuff, too. So the dude's a good writer, and I, I, I like it because of that. But it's also an 80s thing, and I am an 80s kid at heart. So... You know, yeah, eight, eight and a half. I'm I'm done talking about vampires. I mean, three and a half. Yeah, that's what I, what I say. Eight and a half. I just added numbers together, didn't I? I think so. Three and a half. Yeah. For those of you scoring at home, that's a point for you. <laughs> All right, <laughs> man. Uh, okay, let's move on to ship shipwreck, which initially when Craig saw this book, he assumed it was GI Joe shipwreck, and he was very disappointed. <laughs> that should not disappoint you. That is a point of Craig because his weird affin- his weird uh, affinity for affinity. Shipwreck. That's the word I was looking yeah. for. Affinity for sell sail- for sales and sailors for sailors for seamen for seamen. Yes. <laughs> that's where I was going. Yeah. Oh, bad driving the boat there. I got confused. I thought it was so funny, but I couldn't get the other word out of my mouth. Ah, that would be a take two if we were filming things. Um, but hey, you know you're listening, so suck for everyone. Uh, anyway, Shipwreck is by Aftershock Comics. This is issue one. Uh, it's written by Warren Ellis. Mm-hmm. And uh, art is by Phil Hester. Yeah. Uh, which, if you've ever been to the store, the, the uh, Green Arrow sketch we have ab- above the second section is done by Mr. Phil Hester. Uh, Grant, it's been a few years back whenever, shortly after the Green Arrow run that he was working on with Kevin Smith ended. Um, so, you know, dig the dude. He's, he's really cool. Yeah, that was a great time. Yeah. Anyway, okay, so we open up and... Uh, the way the thing starts, we want, we're basically looking up into what appears to be either a hole or a batch of clouds. Um, as it pulls back, there's a lot of visuals here. Uh, we pull back, we see a few hands, one very burned up, and the other one uh, pretty normal, but scrawny, malnourished maybe. And there's a whole flock of birds circling around. We wind up seeing one fly by with, eye, with an eye in its mouth, like a person's eye, I assume. And then it looks like he's. Then it looks like the hands are drowning. So it questions again whether it's water, whether it's air, what it is. We cut from there uh, to a fella who's getting up um, on a set of rocks, and uh, he's walking along a road. Because we see a bunch of like uh, telephone poles, and we realize that he's being circled. There's a flock of crazy blackbirds just following him, assuming to me that they're following him to eat him when he dies. Um, that's the best I get from it, and it lo- looks like he's been walking for a while. Um, anyway, eventually he comes to this broken-down diner, 
Um, I assume out of commission because the sign's missing letters and there's it's very dilapidated. Uh, he goes inside and he's immediately acknowledged by a man sitting in a booth, who uh, tells the uh, the weary traveler that he is an inspector, and uh, he's waiting there to meet him, which seems very off key because we haven't seen any other people until this point. So he sits down and the inspector pulls out a file of paperwork and pulls out a picture and asks him, "Do you know who this is?" And it's a picture of our character. He's like, "Well, yeah, that's 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 me. That's obvious. It's me." And uh, the inspector says, hmm, that's impossible, because it's a dead man. He died in a shipwreck. The strangest shipwreck that it ever was. And then he has a very, immo- like, a, I don't know, like an evil kind of look as he stares at the paperwork. And he, uh, he tells us that the man's name is Dr. Jonathan Shipwright. Right, not wreck. Um, and uh, he says, well, it's impossible for you to be this man, because this man is dead. Uh, then we get a kind of crazy explanation about the shipwreck. Um, talking about being a, a boat that's run aground after voyaging from another planet. So, how he's here and where he is, very questionable. And things don't look entirely out of control, but it is very eerie, like, to how everything is set up. Anyway, we get a little more dialogue in there between the two of them, explaining certain things, and not necessarily explaining even, but like, dropping hints about how long he's been on this planet, and what he's doing there, and we find out in the conversation that uh, Jonathan believes that his ship was sabotaged, and he believes he's hunting the saboteur, and uh, the investigator it does admit to him that the saboteur is in this world, and makes it pretty plain that... Uh, He's not on Earth, or not in his Earth, and explain and makes him aware that the the saboteur he's looking for goes by a different name on their planet. Um, from there, we get a little bit of craziness, and he he basically dashes off to 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 leave, because the inspector kind of kind of threatens him a little bit, and so he jumps up and he runs into the back of the kitchen, and we sort of see him like vaporize through the door, which is really weird, um, and. Uh, yeah, the inspector's, uh, the inspector just smiles and makes notes on his notepad, and he calls it an appropriate reaction. Uh, now we're on the other side of the door, and we see him rematerialize, almost from, like, a cloud, or, a, like, an astral projection. Like, you think about Doctor Strange, when he goes astral projectioning, that's kind of what it looks like, except we clearly saw him go astral projectioning and turn into a cloud, and then he's on the other side of the door. How? Eh, don't know yet. Um, but now we're in the kitchen, and we see the kitchen is being, uh, manned by a, by a girl, um, and she's in there cooking up a plate of, uh, eyeballs, and she's frying them, like, egg style, and, uh, so the two of them have a conversation, and we see that the door is blocked, like, the door is blocked by a broom, like, somebody put it in there to keep anybody from getting into the kitchen, and as he looks around the kitchen, we wind up seeing a whole lot of other body parts skewered underneath, and he starts questioning her, um, because the, the inspector made it sound like maybe the uh, saboteur, the this, this guy he's hunting, is named, he calls Ishmael. Earlier, I don't remember if the uh, investigator told him what the other name was or not. I don't think so. I would have to go back and reread it to know that. Sorry, everybody. Uh, but he knows him as Ishmael. And uh, he asks her, was it Ishmael? Did he come through here? And she turns a knife at him and she's like, you're not any good to me either. And he's like, you know what, I can just remove this 
block from the door, there's an, there's a man outside, an inspector, a police officer. At least I think he's a police officer. He would come in here and he would take care of you. And she starts kind of approaching him with a knife as if she doesn't care. And he pulls the broom, telling her she, he's going to let the inspector in to stop her. Um, winds up swinging the broom at her, knocks the pot of boiling blood over, which causes the old girl to slip and then skewer herself through the neck, killing the shit out of herself. It's a pretty bloody mess. Anyway, that horrifies him for a second, and of course he runs out of there. Now, this time we went through the door, he opened the door to go through it, and he removed the blockade. And he comes into the other room, and he sees that the inspector's gone, and he's left him a note. Now, the note is where the real catch is, um, so I'll, I'll keep that a secret for all you to read, because uh, that's what's going to be the fuel of the rest of the story, him hunting this Ishmael and what the note says. Um, the art, I think, is kind of fantastic, but I dig Phil Hester. Like He's got a almost Mike Mignola look to him, but a little more... I don't, Mignola is an acquired taste, I think. Like, if you like him, then you love his stuff. If you don't understand it, then you don't like it. Um, I think Hester's got a similar thing going on. Not quite as, uh, I don't know, it's not it's not the same, but they have a similar thing happening. Um, Hester's been around for a while, too, and he also writes. Um, a lot of the books that Kevin Smith has started, Phil Hester has finished. So chances are you probably read something. If you follow Smith, comic book-wise writing, chances are you read Phil Hester without even knowing it. Yeah. Um, Score-wise, I give it a three. I, it was pretty entertaining. It's an interesting concept. I like this crazy, like... If he's from another world, like how he got here, what he's doing here, what exactly here is, pretty interesting to me. But I also like time travel crazy stuff, so maybe that's why. But uh, yeah, I give it a, did I say three? Yeah. I give it a three. Look, Rob, score for the book, please go. Uh, yeah, it has a lot of questions in it. Um, I don't know, I was originally thinking of a lower, lower score, but I... I Hester's art just kind of pulls it off for me. I mean, you're definitely treated to some some neat imagery that isn't as over the top as some of the stuff that Warren Ellis works with. Right, so, that's true. Uh, I I'd go ahead and give it a three as well. I mean, it, it definitely seems like an interesting story and it's one to check out. Aftershock's a great new company, so yeah, they put out some really cool books. I think a couple titles are questionable, also for my taste, but yeah, folks in the store seem to like them, so. Whatever. But yeah, I'm, I'm I'm interested to see where they go with it. So I can see I'd say a three. I'd say it's worth checking out. Cool. Um, all right, well, let's move over to uh, Young Animal, the uh, newer DC imprint. This is a uh, I think the third book to come out from that run of books. I think. Uh, so we've I had Shade so. the Changing Girl. We've had. Uh, well, I guess it's the fourth because that issue one and two of uh, of uh, Doom, Doom Patrol come out. So, uh, Cave Carson is Cybernetic Eye, number one. Written by Gerard Way and... Rivera. Rivera. So, Gerard Way and John Rivera are the, are the two co-writers. And then the artwork is done by Michael Avon only. Right. So. Yeah, I don't know. Actually, it, it starts off pretty interesting with Cave's wife dying. And him kind of, like, having to pick up the pieces. When we when it first opens up, it's got this crazy, like... It, it it starts with him, and it's hard to say if he's seeing things or what exactly is happening, because it starts out very like people talking to him, almost like picking him up, and then that turns into them asking him to come live with them in the ground, 
and then it becomes a swirly mess, and then we find out there are people that were dead. So it, it, it is pretty wild. And we go to the funeral, which is where you were at. Yeah. Um, but that the first couple pages, it's, it's kind of crazy town, but interesting, just really odd what's going on. Yeah, I... I think that's supposed to be speaking to a bigger part of the story later on, but I, I can only conjecture. So, right. Um, but we kind of get more introduced to his daughter, who is, uh, let's say, college age now, so maybe in her 20s. And kind of she's reminiscing, watching these old videos of herself when she was a young teen. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say early, I don't know, probably maybe 13, 14, something like that. And so we're we're kind of just establishing like who she is now and kind of the life that she lives because she lives a very normal life compared to Cave. Right now, Cave has been I guess off of work for a little while, and he has a buddy that's a mechanic. Um, he kind of talks to him, and and we kind of start seeing that the eye does crazy things because I guess the eye is always recording, it's always taking measurements and digitizing things, but it's also Sometimes showing him things that aren't real. We, yeah, he's had visions from it, but like the whole time it's running, there's all these little kitchens where it shows like what the eye is seeing, and so like he's in there, we're talking to his friend working on the car, and he's like, yeah, I think, uh, you know, your, your engine looks pretty fine, your tires look pretty good, and he's like, oh no, this little piece is this much off, and at the same time we wind up seeing like how the dude's shoulder inside of his body works, so it like records and analyzes random things like always. There's even a conversation later he has with the daughter about that, and she she asks him about, well, can we talk about the eye, Dad? Because we never talk about the eye. And he's like, oh, well, I know you had, you had a drink when I was in the bathroom because your glass is this this much full, and I can smell this odor of, of pot on you, this percentage of it. And, like, it's crazy facts and numbers that he's just spitting out that the eye apparently picks up. And it kind of makes her realize that Dad doesn't like it so much. And it is weird. Um, we also kind of catch up with the idea that they're building, like, a new team for him to go down in the Mighty Mole, which is his, you know, it's, it's his exploration vehicle. Right. For caving. Yeah. Cave but Carson, you know. They, they include a lot of things that show that he's seen a lot of interesting things under the surface of the Earth that maybe we haven't discussed with other people. Right. So, um, but I guess about halfway through it, we wind up uh, coming across Dr. Magnus, who's, you know, the creator of the uh, Robot Men. And he, of course, wants to take a look at the eye. And ultimately, like, he's very frustrated with it because he doesn't know what it is. He can't tell what technology it is or where it's come from. And he's had enough experience that he's actually come in contact with Dr. Strange, or, I'm sorry, Adam Strange's uh, Zeta stuff and the Kryptonian things. And so for him to say he doesn't really know is kind of a... Kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. But he basically... Uh, this just seems like a bad idea when I was reading it, even. Gives him basically like a, a magnet, sort of, to hook to his head. That'll keep it from rec uh, recording or uh, spitting out its information right. back to him. Because what Magnus thinks is, I guess, is that it's uh, twisting old memories. And basically, like, replaying them in his head in kind of a deformed way. And so by wearing this thing at night, maybe he can actually get some sleep. Um, and that very evening, he winds up having it on, and he winds up being visited by somebody who looks like one of these underground dwellers. 
somebody that was connected to him. That's kind of all desiccated. And we have a kind of hard time understanding what she's trying to say as he tries to, like, figure out a way to help her until her skin rips off and she becomes, like, a weird tentacle monster thing. <laughs> and, uh, Cave has to start kind of being, like, a little less... I guess, like, sad for himself and, like, defend himself, actually, from this creature. Yeah, he goes goes from, uh... uh yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess goes from being, like, sort of a lump to trying to be badass. Yeah. Which he kind of does. He kind of does all right. And kind of the big kicker at the, at the end, you know, we, we have a little bit of a kicker at the end. I'll reveal one of the characters that he knows in the story is somebody else who's kind of important in DC. Um... So I, like there's there's things that they give us to think about in here, and things that I kind of wonder about. Like uh, for for me, I I kind of wonder if these images that he's seeing, these hallucinations, are not just the eye messing with him, but instead like some kind of message about him needing to return to the caves underneath the earth, or these these people that he's come across before. Because they kind of pick up with the idea that Kate Carson's already been doing this for a while. Well, yeah, whenever they're whenever the daughter's watching the videos, it's her as a kid, and their their introducer is the newest member of Team Mole, and they show her doing karate and stuff, and then the boyfriend character is like, which I don't think they name him. He's just like, "Hey, can you still do all his karate moves?" And she's like, "Uh, yeah, no, that was all for the TV. That was, you know, I don't really do karate moves." Yeah, so I kind of think is a lie. I, I don't know, man. It makes me wonder. I have a feeling that it was going to turn out to be more true than what she let on. Yeah. I, so. I, think, I think she's probably pretty B.A. Uh, there's also something at the very beginning where he's talking about, you know, basically we know aliens exist. We know that there's things below the surface of this Earth that people don't think are, are real. We know that there's minerals and, and things in the Earth that have properties that science isn't ready to explain. But basically it's all a little bit of conspiracy, so, like, he gets to continue to be this explorer as long as he keeps that stuff under cover. Right. It's a good story. It does feel disjointed at times, I think, and some of that's intentional, and some of it I don't know if it is or not. I don't know. I I feel like it's worth continuing on. My glaive on only is, is hit and miss with me. Uh, A lot of times on his own stuff, I like him better than on things that have already been uh, drawn before. Sure. Characters characters he's created versus characters that already exist. Yeah, like Powers is fantastic. Right. But then he comes over and he does stuff that maybe is more established, like regular DC or Marvel superheroes, and it's kind of like... Right. He's got a very stylized manner to his work. Right. Um, I think it works okay for this. I'd probably give it a two and a half. And I'm like, I didn't think it was bad, um, but it's it's not it's not great. Okay. I would still come back and check out number two to see where they go with it. Sure. You know, before I really make like a decision on it. But that's that's what I would think. Right. Okay. Um, wise you know, I follow suit and give it two and a half. I mean, it's, I don't think it's a bad story. Like you said, there's pieces that feel disjointed, but I think they're disjointed on purpose. Yeah. And I have to go with that idea because what we're seeing with the crazy flashes, if, if it was a TV show or a movie, we would just accept them and move forward, I think. But because it's a book, it comes off a little bit different. I don't think it's bad. I guess we'll see as, as it goes on if that winds up being the truth. 
but at least from what I've seen in the first book, I have to assume that that's what's going on, yeah. and it's purposeful for, for that reason. Yeah, hopefully they have, you know, this master plan in place. Sure. And it's interesting enough, I mean, Carson's, he's an old-school character, man. Yeah, like, you're talking about a dude whose main thing was digging under the ground, and that was, like, it. Yeah, so he, Yeah, he had a machine that could let him tunnel under the earth, and he explored the earth. Yeah, that was, that's it. That was his deal. So this batch of, like, crazy secrets under the earth, I think is really interesting. Yeah. So where that's going to go, I don't, I don't know. How the, If it will ever affect DC Prime, I mean, I don't know. We have the middleman in there. Yeah. So is, is he part of DC Prime? I guess he might be. I mean, is Shade the Changing Girl? I don't know. Is, yeah. is the Doom Patrol? Well, they were before, but we've seen no proof of that. So, like, Carson at least leads us to the idea that these books are happening in the regular universe also. So, I guess we'll see. I doubt that means we'll have a Superman show up or something. But, is he needed for this kind of story? I don't know, probably not. Probably I mean, not. it's all hidden secrets and lies and whatnot. So, yeah. it should be, you know, stuff that's below the Justice League pay grade. <laughs> Below because it's in the earth, Rob? Well, I'm just below because Because it's it's hidden? It's small time. Well, Superman knew about it. He just go fix it. That's true. All right. I don't know. That's the answer for a lot of... Batman knew about it. He would just own it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the answer. Even even in the cinematic universe, you know, you get people like, well, this was such a big deal in Ant-Man. Why wasn't the Justice League there? Or the uh, Avengers there? Yeah. It's like, well, they can't answer every little thing. A, B... Below their pay is, grade. is this really like what the Avengers would get up for to stop your yellow jacket? With a, tec- te- with a techno jacket? I don't think so. No, they wouldn't even find out about it until after it was already over. No, no. It, once it was a real problem, there was 8 million yellow jacket suits out there? Sure. Yeah. But they were also an Ultron, then yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people just want to oversimplify this thing, you know, like, oh, you can't have any of these stories because of that. Like, I, I've heard people complaining about Doctor Strange isn't even, isn't even out yet. Oh, why aren't the Avengers a part of this? Well, I think when you watch the movie, you're going to know. Right. But Doctor Strange is on a whole different plane than the Avengers. And I don't mean like he's in a different universe. I mean like the stuff that he tackles is shit that the rest of the Avengers really couldn't wrap their head around. Right. You know? It'd be almost above most of pay grade. Yeah. If that makes sense as a saying. Hopefully it does. It's all going to be all about pay grades the rest of the show, guys. Just so you that's know. That's what it is. Boom. All right. and above and to the side. <laughs> Way you're on salary and then you're just screwed. Yeah, no, it depends on who you are and where you're at. That's, that's not that's always true. true. That's true. Not always true. You make more on salary a lot of the time. Sometimes. And then they own you. Yeah. Anyway, okay, so, man. Just depressing all day long, man. Ah, okay, so, uh, man. Uh, let's move on to Seven to Eternity, number one from Image Comics. Um, this guy's already gotten the second print, so I think once they went to the second print within the first week of it being out. Now, yeah. it's been out for a couple weeks now, so I guess timeline-wise, it, it's been around for a second. So yeah. chances are you might not be able to get it at your store anymore, but um, we do know the second print coming out, and I want to say it comes out when number two happens, so... If you if you if you're gonna try to get on it next week, I think is the week to do it. Um, so uh, as far as uh, working on it, it's a Rick Remender book, which is where the initial popularity probably comes from. Uh, artist by Jerome Pena, um, a fantastic artist. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Remender's got a bunch of other books that are happening right now that are just he's just all over the place and awesome. Um, so the way this guy opens up, uh, well, we start out with like, oh no, there's a couple of sketch pages, and then we have a page of 
a journal from uh, our main character. Well, I think he's going to be our main character. At least the first book he is. Yeah, the first book he is. Uh, Adam. And I think his, the way you say his name is Osidius. Osidius. Osid. It's O-S-I-D-I-S. Osidus, maybe. Os- I, the way I read it was Osidus, so that's what I was saying it was. I could be wrong about that because I haven't heard it pronounced, so hey, you know. Anyway, uh, so we start out, and we, we've got uh, a man and a woman, and the man's cut his finger on purpose with a knife, and he spreads it on the edge of a tree. And we find out that the two of them are hunting, and we see a, a shot of what they're hunting, and it's like this crazy giant pig boar thing with crazy color, like, tendrils hanging off it and boils around his neck. It is crazy looking. Um, but for the most part, it's like a giant boar. That's the easiest description, save for the tentacles. Um, and as he's talking to talking to her, we find we learn as we go through that that it's uh, father-daughter, and he's basically trying to teach her how to, to hunt and how to shoot these particular animals and how to direct and guide things. And the weapon she's using is a bow and arrow, but what she's firing looks almost to be like a lizard or a snake. And uh, the thing she's wearing on her head... I believe that it helps her control the thing she's firing. Because as he's talking to her, he tells her, make sure you let it know you're going to fire it, and make sure it's okay with you shooting it. And then once it gets inside there, you've got to guide it to the heart, because if it doesn't poison the boar's heart, the boar's going to trample us. And she's like, oh yeah, I know, I know, I know. And he's like, alright, well, you know, get it done. And so, uh, she's ready to shoot at the, at the uh, boar, and, uh, he starts coughing into a rag. And we see that uh, he is not the healthiest in the world, because he's coughing up blood in his, in his, in his rag. Uh, when he coughs, of course, is when she fired, so uh, she winds up missing, but initially it scares the boar enough for it to run away. And then we hear this crazy, like, horn being blown, which draws the two of them to the horn. And, of course, she's freaking out, because Dad's coughing in his hand, and there's blood everywhere, and she's like, it's getting worse. And he's like, no, no, we're fine, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Let's, we gotta get. We gotta get over to the horn. And so the two of them take off. And next thing we see, we cut across to another group of what look like settlers. You know, an older guy with a white beard, and he's got a younger lady behind him and a couple kids. And he's staring at these clouds. And as the uh, two of them ride up, Adam and the daughter, uh, the old man's like, "We need to get. The, we need to get everybody into the uh, into the into the uh, storm cellar." The storm coming is not a normal storm. And, of course, the kids are like, why are you freaking out about the storm? And he's like, it's not normal. And we start seeing crazy yellow lightning bolts fly out of it, which, I mean, yellow lightning is not that big a deal, but it's hitting things on purpose. It's not like random lightning. And uh, so they start getting the kids into the cellar, and we see the barn go up, and that's got a bunch of their animals, like livestock, inside of it. So the old man, who turns out to be Adam's dad runs to the barn to try to get all the animals out, or at least let them free so they don't burn alive. And he tells Adam to go get go get his gun. And Adam starts heading to the house, and he's like, you got to get in there before the house blows up. And next thing you know, the house blows up. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty bad, because we've got fire everywhere now. And uh, we still haven't seen, other than the clouds, we don't really know where the, I mean, what's causing it to be what it is. It's almost like the lightning is leading them versus it just being random lightning. Uh, anyway, and if, if you, you need to read the letter at the beginning because it talks about what they call the Whisperer. And that sets up a lot what happens in here. 
because the da father starts telling him that it's the whispers. It's the whispers that are coming. That's what's causing this to happen. And then from there, we see Dad use some really crazy magic power type stuff with these crazy, like, light swords and a third eye that appears above him. It is wild looking, man. It looks kind of awesome badass. Uh, and then he calls to the, to, uh, to the cloud and he, and he basically tells them, I guess for the better part of this, he says, I'm, we're not going to surrender. There's a lot more dialogue than I'm going to abbreviate it for you. Um, he basically tells them, we're not going to surrender, we're not going to back down, I'm not going to give in. And then the next thing we know, we see this character come out of the uh, clouds, and he's a crazy-looking humanoid, of course, but like glowy magic stuff all around him, and he pulls out this flute, and he starts playing the flute, which causes these mud wolves to come out of the ground. And the mud wolves have like crazy snake tendrils on them. They look awesome. Um, so the old man starts fighting him, and starts fighting the wolves. And we flash back to Adam, who's in the house, and he winds up getting to his to his case and pulling out his weapon. Um, and while this is happening, we basically see Dad getting, or his father, uh, getting overtaken by the, uh, by the, not necessarily by the wolves, because he messes the wolves up pretty good, but there's these other little, like, demon entities flying around, and they're whispering. So when you're talking about the whispers, I assume this is what they mean by them. And all the stuff they're saying is very, like, it's downtrodden type stuff, and like, you're always gonna fail, you're gonna fail your family, and like, a bunch of messed up stuff. And then he winds up stabbing himself through the chest with his weapon. Which is super questionable and crazy. Like, seppuku style. Um, but he didn't want to, and it's pretty bad. Uh, from there, uh, the guy continues to play the flute, and then it winds up sucking the, uh, grandfather into the ground, leaving only his hand above, and Adam comes running out just in time to see his father completely sucked under the ground. Um, and then the the cloud rider tells Adam, we, you need to come hear his offer. And during the whole letter page, or the journal entry, it talks about how their world was devastated by this one particular person, and their family always called him the Mud King. And apparently when the Mud King came, came to town, he made you an offer to join him. And if you did, one of your people became controlled by him. But they lived in your family still, lived in your house, basically to watch you like a spy. And they were busy in the middle of a war between the Mud King and some other faction. And Adam's father realized the war didn't have to happen and tried to convince everyone not to follow the Mud King. But whatever his offer was or whatever he said to them, made them. And so Adam and his family became outcasts because of it, because they wouldn't just give in and join the Mud King. It's a really giant setup. That first page is really important to read, actually. So, not like a letter column type thing, but like a piece of the story. Anyway, uh, we have a funeral for Dad. I'm going to fast forward a little bit, because there's so much stuff that happens in this book. It's really good. Um, Adam decides he's going to go and take care of the Mud King, but he's not sure if he's going to go there and join, or if he's going to go there and try to kill him. And we see, you find Adam's sickness, he knows he's dying. Um, and whatever it is he has with his cancer, tuberculosis, we don't really know what it is, because they didn't say what it is. But he's coughing up blood pretty regular. And he leaves his oldest daughter, who he says can protect the family, because she's a badass. And we see her actually be a badass for a while. Uh, whenever she's hunting the board, and some of the other stuff she does later, she's pretty, like, take charge type. 
he crosses some more ground. We get some beautiful like imagery, and of course we get to the cities that are run by the Mud King, and we see that they are very downtrodden. And as he rides in the town, we're met by a couple of uh, civilian types, I guess, or other uh, other people, and they automatically know who he is, whether they know him from the past or they just know who he is by reputation. And they start talking trash because, like, oh, you left us during the battles, and your family is just so terrible, and we curse your family, and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, you know, your war is not my problem. And uh, he shows that pretty regularly. And then we get to the end, and of course, catch all is when he meets Mud King. We get to see the Mud King, which is really cool. Um, I'm going to leave it at that. And there's a whole bunch of stuff in the middle there that I glance past, but is super, like, build the world style. And it's freaking awesome. Like, as far as the book's concerned, I, I'd give it a four and a half because the art is really good. It's wild. I mean, like, the boar thing is crazy looking. And the the weapons that the grandfather uses, awesome. So, like, the amount of magic and technology we're seeing is crazy. And, like, the, the so the daughter's wearing this crazy, like, almost like a headset, but not a headset. And I'm pretty sure that's what she uses to drive the arrows she's shooting, which is the lizard thing. And, like, me describing doesn't do it justice at all. I mean, it's freaking awesome. He builds the world awesome. So, if nothing else, there's a lot of little pieces in there that are freaking cool. Yeah, sorry, I'm going to stop now. Four and a half. Uh, Rick Remender, uh, whenever we mentioned, so on our show, <laughs> whenever we tell about books to watch, and generally it's Mike telling his deadly class and. uh, and Black Science or Rob, those are also books written by the same guy. So we already think highly of him in general. But the way he's built this world, like just like Deadly, if you read Deadly Class, how Deadly Class is immersed in the 80s, this is just like a fantasy world for things and awesome. So the dude, really good at building realities and worlds. Anyway, four and a half, good. Uh, Rob, score book, please go. Um, I'd give it a four. I enjoyed it. They're they're definitely building something new with this story. Uh, I'd say one of the things that they really got going on is a difference between ideologies. Sure. You know, um, so rather than good versus evil, it's ideals. That's That's, true. That's a good deal of the story. But um, I don't know. It looks like it's going to be really cool. And I kind of feel like this is like Act 1 and then we're going to zip over and we're going to actually get a character that's not so familiar with the regular world. That's going to be our main character. Maybe. We might want to find the daughter. Maybe. I mean, they set her up pretty good at the beginning. If we want to follow her, so be it. I mean, she's a cool character, too. Yeah. So I can see that being the case. It'll be interesting to see what they wind up having happen with, with the Mud King or what happens in the next issue in general. Yeah. But no, it's, it's totally worth checking out. It, it's one that... I really think people should have given you know should give a shot to sure yeah if you yeah. can get a chance for it yeah and like, like I said it's going in the second print so uh, watch for that when number two comes out your store should have second prints and if you don't think they're getting them you should probably ask them to get them because once the second print goes out chances are it won't get a third and by then it'll be a nightmare to get number one yeah it, it, you know it could go to number a third for number one maybe but by that point two's going to be out. And two, yeah. two will not go to a third print. I don't think you so. Know? I mean, it's very rare. Sure. So, and I mean, honestly, if you want books like these to keep going, yeah, waiting for the trade doesn't yeah, help. Yeah, doesn't you help know? it. Um, if you don't care, I mean, I guess whatever. But right. 
All right, let's move on to another book, Rob. Yeah, let's do Knight Dominion. Knight's Dominion? All right. Uh, and I know I'm going to mess up this name, but I'm going to try it anyways. The writer and artist are both Ted Nephim. Nephim? 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 There's a lot of that. Let's say Nepha. Let's go with Nepha. Nepha? Nepha? Either way, Ted. Good work. Right. I was giving you the, the okay sign, but that doesn't really work very well in podcast land. It's like a thumbs up, but you can't see it because it's audio. Yes. Yes. So. Um, but yeah, actually, this is, once again, another unique world. It's based in fantasy, but it's not based in any fantasy that we know. This isn't D&D. This isn't Pathfinder. It's its own unique world. And, and so far, it's been very committed to being its own unique world without... Uh, going way over the top. So we were introduced in the first issue uh, by a bard who's called Maestro. And he's brought in our thief character and our magic character and our cleric character and you know, an assassin character. And they're all kind of really unique. Right. And so I'll do my best to try to kind of explain who they are as we go. Um, strangely enough, the, the main character that we actually follow in the story is the thief character. Oh, the barmaid. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, just, they're one and the same. Right. Because she, she winds up uh, being kind of the barmaid by day, but it's to cover her being this thief who calls herself the, the night shadow. Right. It's a day job, night job. Yeah. Uh, and the night shadow's actually got a surprisingly deep story that we really get into in number two, and we wind up finding out why she steals things and kind of what she holds on to, and she's got this kind of weird ethics code where she doesn't like to kill. Um, we also were introduced to the assassin character, and they call him an asp. And we kind of found out that he, he's he gone from being kind of a hardcore assassin to starting to turn things around a little bit, in that he was uh, commissioned to kill the princess. And he realized that because of her lot in life. Like, he just he just couldn't do it. He couldn't kill somebody that truly was without sin, I guess. And it's a little bit less naive when you're reading it. Sure. Um, the magic character that they have is actually pretty cool, because even though he's called a, 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 a magi, so far all of his magic has been chemical-based, so he's got little globes of different concoctions that he's used, and it's like magic. Right. So his sleep spell is like throwing out the glass ball, and it explodes and makes a cloud and knocks people out. Um, the one that we haven't really seen define himself yet is the cleric. And we learn about his his story and kind of some bad things that happen to him in this book, but we haven't seen him do anything spectacular yet. But the main crutch for this story so far is that there's a new cult in town, and the cult basically has you pledge fealty to it and give away all your possessions. And then once, you, once you've once you done that, they squirrel you away inside their temples. And like there's this idea that maybe they kill them. But the whole reason we're here is that there's supposed to be this treasure room that just has all these worldly possessions in it. Oh, yeah. And so they've all kind of come together, and the idea that they're going to get this big, big payday. Although I think the mistral knows a little bit more. He's letting on. But most of this book is actually this really uniquely done, sneaky, sneaking around, taking out guards stuff. And they're very good about like paying attention to 
No, it's not just let's, let's just get in there and kill everything. They're actually very good about doing things in a stealthy way, and, and taking a life is kind of... It weighs heavy on some of the characters. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and one of the big things that was revealed in this is not only the face of this god that they are supposedly giving up their... Uh, the their gold, worldly their goods too. for. Yeah. But we also see the initiation of the people who, who give their wealth to it. And kind of the... Uh, what, what they actually what, need. What actually they have yeah. to give away to be that. Um, along with that, we find a terrible secret in the bowels where this treasure is supposed to be. And it's really not what we expected it to be. So, honestly, for for the second issue for this, like we actually cover a lot of ground and have opened up something that's going to be really unique. Uh, along with that, they came up with something that I've never seen in a fantasy book, which I think is just fantastic. Which is, uh, we already know that you know, the Night Shadow is is this thief character that's really big in in our story, but she has an adversary that we encountered in the first issue called the Fury, which is basically like Night Batman. He looks awesome. Yeah, and he's like a force to be reckoned with. Like he's he's literally like their Batman. He's not a town guard of any kind, but like feels like he has to avenge things. So I'm kind of interested to see how he's going to wrap into this story. And I I think circumstances are going to force him to actually help our group. But it's kind of cool to see medieval Batman and it not just be something that was really ham-fistedly shoved in there. It actually feels pretty organic. Um, but once again, you know, I mean, fantasy books are always really tough, and it's funny because you'd think comics and fantasy would be a perfect medium, but so often, when you make that transition, the books just fall apart, they just turn into garbage, and there's very few, like, really, really good fantasy comics. There's more now, but yeah, in the, in, in the early 2000s, not the 80s and 90s, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, still to me, it's like a rarity. But I mean, you know, we, we do have Birthright, which is incredible. Pathfinder has actually done a really good job. Yep. There's been a few D&D books that have actually yep. been really good. I agree. Um, but yeah, I mean, typically, it, it, it was something that I always shied away from just because they, they were so bad. Um and there's there's obvious things like Battle Chaser that was fantastic back in the right. day. So. But um Night Dominion is a really unique new fantasy world that I think actually stands to be a great story. And I, I feel like this is a really well done adventure. It'd probably do better if it was animated. But um Honestly, it's, it's totally worth checking out. And if you're if you're a fantasy fan, and you're looking for like a good fantasy comic. This is the way to go. You're not going to see things that you're familiar with, like you would if you're picking up a D and D book. But for fantasy, I think this is great. And it's it's cool to me that it's all coming out of like one mind as well. So, right. Um, I, I give it a four. I actually I really enjoyed it. Um. The artwork on it, I think, works really well for the story that they're telling. And I, I like a lot of the little things that he does in there with uh, the knight's makeup as it kind of like runs around on her face as she cries or gets uh, water on her face. So little details like that, I think, 
really sell it for me. And of course, you know, Night Batman is awesome. So, right, right. Um, sweet. Uh, you know, uh, score wise, I give it a three and a half. I mean, I, I was pretty sold in, on the night on the Batman night, the Fury, from the preview. Um, so, issue one's preview had him in it. I'm like, oh, this is it. Yeah. Awesome. And so far, he's been pretty cool. I, I'm sure as we go, like this old quote we used to make fun of, as we find out more as the story goes, okay. it'll get more interesting. And yeah, I have a feeling you're right. You'll probably wind up being something that helps them yeah. versus just going after them. Well, but it's pretty cool. He, he was definitely like something they were proud of, but he's not really that big of a part. No, of he's not a main, main piece. He's like a side piece of the main story. Yeah. So, like, so yeah. I, I imagine as we go into three and, and five, he'll probably be more important. Sure. Like, like I said, I, there's, there's a pretty big thing that happens at the end of two that I don't want to get into. Right. That I, I think will will really force his hand. But I, I like what they've come with, what they've come up with for this story. And, and so far... It has this kind of cool Magnificent Seven feel where, you know, here's what these characters are on the surface, and you see their parts, and then as we go, we're kind of forming friendships and, and learning this is why this character does what they do, and this is why this character does what they do, and, and sometimes you still have personality clashes. Right. So, like, one of the things that's that's big in this book was uh, the knight, she stole all this money. And all these different trinkets and stuff, but she's never spent any of it. And it winds up that uh, where she was hiding it has been found, but the asp is kind of like looking down on her and is telling her, like, oh, well, you just stole all this stuff for the thrill. You know, you didn't even use any of it. And she kind of explains that the whole reason she's done this is that her brother has been put into this prison of no return, basically. Um, because of all this debt that their parents had occurred. And so every year she goes to try to pay off the debt, and the debt's higher. And so she's trying to, like, get this just the right amount of money to, to wind up paying off this whole thing for her brother to leave jail and kind of have his life, and that she doesn't care how low she has to go to get there. And it kind of, I don't know, it kind of changes the way that the Asp thinks of her, but you kind of get this different idea of, like, how they relate to each other. Because, I mean, they're similar characters in that they're both doing dark deeds for money. But, like, it, it kind of changes, like, their opinion of one another. Sure. But it's kind of cool that they have a... Uh, I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is it would be really easy for it just to be like, cool, you take money to kill people, I'll take money to kill people. Let's be homies. But, like, they don't do that. They, they actually keep this, like, animosity between them. As, as we kind of learn who they are. So, I don't right. know. It's a pretty good description. Magnificent Seven style. That's, that's good. Well, I, I, like I feel that. like that was how it was in one, too, because it, they don't just go, oh, well, they're all friends and they already know each other. Right. You actually do have to build the party in that story. And I, I kind of feel like the minstrel has a lot more going on than, he, than we know. Right. And it's funny because he sort of, he's the character who starts the story and then he fades into the background, almost like... They want you to not look at him. Right. So I don't know. I, I'm interested to see what they do. They, they've got me. Right on. All right. Um, I think that was it for books. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got a couple of interviews. Uh, I've got to go through and figure out which ones we still have that haven't been used. So sorry about that, guys. Hopefully next time I'll be able to run something with uh, 
some certainty of what it is. It just went to show many shows back to back that like became a problem. And I don't orchestrate things very well when I'm by myself, so anyway, um that was a little admission of guilt for I don't know, something. Planning. Rob, what'd you learn today? Um I got one. This will be different. Really. Uh, okay, yeah, go ahead. That medieval Batman is awesome. <laughs> yeah, medieval Batman is awesome. Right. This will be from that same book. I, I learned that even though it is conjuring cheap tricks, it can still be magic. <laughs> I think he's more of an alchemist, really, is what the deal is. Yeah, uh, he just plays it off as magic. Yeah, that's good. Um, uh, what did I learn today, Rob? Oh, you learned that a shish kebab can pass through somebody's ear and through their head. That's... Yes. Yeah. Because when we were talking about shipwreck and she fell on her shish kebab, that was a uh, literal shish kebab. Yes, that no, was actually shish kebab. Yeah, yeah, yeah not, not metaphoric. No. Uh, the, the actual, actual, yeah. <laughs> they, are, they are dangerous. Be careful in the kitchen, folks. Yeah. Be careful in the kitchen. Now, you could shish kebab your own head. Yes. It's not pretty. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, books to watch, Rob. You got any books to watch? Uh, actually, Knights Dominion be a good one to check out. Um, Seven to Eternity. It's for real. Get yeah. on it because it it will be gone. Um, gosh, you know, I actually really like the Champions. I thought that was pretty good. Hmm. I think there's something else coming up that I was interested in, but I can't. I can't. Oh, there's there's a one shot for Lock and Key. Oh right, is, yeah. You know, I we don't know if they're gonna want to continue to do anymore. Right now, this is only a one shot. But you know, if you really like Lock and Key, get on this one shot. Maybe it'll be enough to like spur them to come back and do another book. So. Right on. But it looks like it's gonna be fantastic. So. Um. There's a couple that are in the. That was not in this month's catalog. It's next month's. It should be next month's catalog, I think. Uh, stuff coming out of the uh, the New York Comic Con again. Uh, we got a book coming out from Image. It's called. I want to say it's called Cursing. Is what it's called, or Swearing? Swearing. I think it's called Swearing. Um, I want to say it's written by Charles Soule, and uh, the arts by the guy who did uh, God Hates Astronauts. I cannot remember his name, though. Man, okay. it doesn't even good when I try to do news stuff, because I don't remember everybody's <laughs> names. That's anyway, not, a lot of names out there. It, it should be in next month's solicits. So if you get on the Internet, look at Bimber's solicits for January, then you should be able to see it. Uh, anyway, I think that'll be... The title is funny, so that's what makes me laugh about it, because mm-hmm. that's funny. And I mean, honestly, God Hates Astronauts' artist was pretty good. Oh, yeah. It was just God Hates Astronauts was, like, crazy on a stick, so... <laughs> it, it, it did yeah. prove the idea that you can't just make a book about nothing and just be like, no, nah, just whatever the craziest stuff you could think of, just throw it in there. Like, that book won't sell. It did okay. It got two volumes. I am. That's that's one volume more than I would have gave it. I guess maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you can just throw whatever you want in there, and it'll be crazy. But if but if you ever want to try to read a book that just can go from sort of serious to like a Mentos ad with a guy with an arm coming out of his chest to the Mentos ad was part of the part of the story. Yeah. To. Uh, King cheeseburger like, or King Tiger eating cheeseburger? Yeah, King Tiger eating cheeseburger. Because like, that's what he's doing. Like, it is the most bizarre kind of thing that you can think of. That it just feels like, 
What do you got over there? I don't. It's okay, just throw it on in here. <laughs> you got mold oh, man. Like peanut butter. Okay. I don't think that's not entirely. It is it, crazy on a stick. It feels like so chaos. It fits some people perfect, Rob. Yeah, some right. people perfect. I, I, I'm maybe sure not. Did. Maybe not me and you necessarily. Uh, but there were pieces in there that I did think were. Well, I mean, there's moments that are funny. Yeah. But then they're followed up by something that's like that what? one guy that had a crab up for a head. That yeah. was pretty. I mean, like cowhead. The, the mm. farmers that hated the astronauts that had laser pitchforks. I thought that was funny. It was the <laughs> dumbest thing ever. But <laughs> okay, that's enough about God hates astronauts. Cause and, and yeah, sure I, it's over. I, I'm just saying, like he's a he's a good artist. He's a good artist, right? Okay. Even though you know what he made was crazy. Crazy dance. Oh my God. <laughs> Jeez, man. Anyway, so cursing looks like it's going to be legit. I I hope so. I don't know enough about it yet. I mean, there's only been, like, random. There's a one solicited on the website, and that's all there is about it right now. So we'll see. Next month, when the catalog comes out, I assume it'll have a little more. Maybe we should make a rating system. It's what do you like, mean? It's like we go through the five stars or whatever, and when we get back to full strength again, we have the, the whole crew here. Right. You know, and if it's like... Registers out to two. It's like it's it's okay. Three, it's cool. Four, it's legit. <laughs> Five, it's amazing. And like we get some kind of sound bumper. <laughs> that one equals out to legit. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. I, I hear I hear what you're saying. Email us if you like that idea. I guess. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's a bad idea. But I do. I, we used to great things with food. I mean, Curtis well, would be give yeah. things two tacos. Yeah. And that that was before it was still funny. Yeah. And two tacos are good. I mean, I like That's tacos. True. That's true. Oh, my God. Uh, another book to watch, Red One, if you haven't checked that one out. Uh, we should get another volume for that guy here in a couple more, uh, probably another month, because uh, we should have an issue five come out. Okay. Um, awesome stuff with the Dotsons, Terry and Rachel. Great, great art. The story's been pretty cool, too. So I'm glad that that's coming back out again. Um... Uh, it was something I read yesterday that I thought was pretty good. How come I can't remember what it was called? That's not that's not a good endorsement. It's a terrible mm. endorsement. Ah, good job, idiot. Well, and I I guess just just a little thing out there. Some people still haven't quite got this, and you know, so we're just to try to help out fans. You know, we know Marvel DC. They're going to put their books out. They're just going to keep on coming. You know, every month you're going to have those books, and it's it's a, a rare thing that they fall behind. So those of you guys that really like the indie stuff, you got to keep in mind Image and Dark Horse, especially these two that are writer artist controlled. Their checks are based on how well their books perform and how well they sell, and so there's a lot of times where you're going to have fall offs, where these books are going to take months off, and it's not always just a plan for the next chapter. Although you know sometimes it is. Sure. But you know, so when you're when you decide you're going to be a fan of this, I'm I'm always getting people that are like, "Oh my god, it's been so long since I did a saga." Well, yeah, you know, I mean, these guys gotta they gotta not only plan, but they gotta get a paycheck. You know, and and when you're when you're not sitting there and know exactly what you're gonna get, I mean, that's gotta be stressful as all well. hell. I mean, that's gotta be really tough on on these creators. So just something to keep in mind when you like these indie books. Keep in mind, there's going to be breaks. So just because your series stopped, if it didn't stop with a definitive end, keep looking, because it's going to come back out. 
don't just say like, oh, I guess it's done, and then a year later come back and realize, oh, it's been, you know, yeah. all these new issues have come out. Well, when did they come out and like attack your <laughs> retailer about it? Um, I mean, that's just it's just it's the nature of the beast for those books because of how they're well, how they're made. They don't always continue, but there are a very couple very good examples. I mean, yeah. you, you think about uh, what's the one that's like, that came out once every two years and had two issues. Oh, non-player. Non-player. Yeah. Fantastic art, fantastic story. Issue one's been printed like five times, and literally they came a year apart from each other. Yeah. There's only been the two issues. So. I mean, you know, just, I, I guess it's just to keep an eye out on it, you know. Um, Jupiter's Legacy is another example of that, I think. Yeah. Wasn't that like a huge separation between when it was first yeah, launched and when it continued? There's a gap in there. It is what it is. That's enough lecturing. Well, I was, uh, that was to help you think of the title. It didn't come to me with that at all. Okay. But I, but I feel your pain. No, I'm just, so. I'm just saying, you know, uh, it's 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 one of those things. It's not like to drive you nuts as a fan. It's just it's just the economy of, of the world, <laughs> you know. Well, it's just like you said, nature of the beast. Yeah, I mean, there's there's only a few people that are like crazy machines. Like Kirkman, I have no idea how he even exists as a human being. But but he does it all the time, you know. Yeah. Invincible and and Walking Dead have never stopped, and there's like it's two people working on that book, you know. I mean, well, it, primarily, primarily two. Well, and then he's got Outcast and yeah, yeah, dude's a busy, busy and, and dude. And whatever side project he just decides to do, oh, right, well. yeah, one of these. Well, that and he's got connections to the show, of course. Yeah, he's so doing something like, with the show too. So the dude's with both shows. Don't understand how he. He has time to do anything. And he still goes to shows. Cons, yeah. I mean. Oh, this is nuts. Good on you, guy. Same thing's true for, um... It feels like he's doing everything in Marvel, right? And Charles Soule. Like, I, I... How you can write that many books every month and be on top of it and, and turn out stuff that's amazing... No idea. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, um... I think that's it, Rob. You know, anything else? Oh, did you... you didn't, didn't I can't think of what it was. I don't okay, know what it was. Um, I had, it, it's gone, whatever it was. I'm sure it'll come back, but it's gone now. Yeah. Well, it'll still be exciting eventually when they get uh, the Super Sons book going. I think that's going to oh, be Oh, yeah, yeah, Super Sons should be fun. Um, we're getting ready to do, well, we're getting ready to have, oh, this is, this is not what I was thinking of, this is a different one. We're getting ready to do Suicide Squad vs. Justice League as a miniseries. Oh, okay. Um, which I... I'm not sure if Batman's going to lead into that, because right now they just put out the first issue of Batman's... It's Batman number eight, uh, I Am Suicide, which is leading the Suicide Squad into Gotham for whatever reasons I haven't read it yet, so I don't know what it is, but that's the title. Okay. Uh, but yeah, they're going to be doing a six-part for Justice League vs. Suicide Squad. Hopefully that's really cool. I mean, it's an interesting pairing, I guess. Yeah. So I guess we'll see if those things run into each other. So that'll be cool. But yeah, that's not what I was thinking of before. Hmm. It doesn't matter. I, I can't remember now. <laughs> I'm done. Good. I'm done. Yeah. I'm punched out. All right. Sounds sounds good. Tiki. 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 Says uh. I'm gonna do it. Hey, I'm talking to you. Tiki. Tiki.